in our Bibles, and we've been looking at family matters, and we are continuing. We looked last week at, uh, the last couple of weeks, at the love of the father, and, um, or excuse me, love of husbands uh, with their wives, and we have to teach them about what love is. And we saw that love is a fruit of the Spirit, as well as uh, love is not a lot of things. Love suffereth long and is kind. It is not puffed up. And we saw that uh, we had to define love and what uh, biblical agape love is and how a man is to, uh, and now we want to look at, and we want to think about how a man applies it to his life. And back in Ephesians, we see that God does give an extensive um, instruction to man, and uh, but before we, but we do that, but before we do that, we will start off in the two main passages that deal with this, and that's in Colossians, as we've been looking at the book of Colossians, and we see that um, it's much more brief than it is in Ephesians, but we'll be turning back to Ephesians chapter five in a moment. But of course, um, husbands, verse nineteen of chapter three, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them or toward them. Now, we have to define the atmosphere of this command that God is giving to both the Colossians as well as the Ephesians because the husband was the king of the house. There were no rights for anybody but the, but the husband. He dictated everything. If he wanted to, he could sell one of his kids in slavery. If he wanted to, he could tell his wife, out of here. Um, now, of course, with the financial things and many, the way that politics would work, many times she would have family to back her up because if she was a, a woman of noteworthy um, background. Uh, but at the same time, there was a lot of problems there. And of course, we talked about how that the husband could go down and have his retainer of uh, prostitutes at the temple. And then, he, of course, all the things that could go on wrong in a slave household I was um, uh, listening, or I've been on these audio books and been listening to about Thomas Jefferson. And Jefferson was one of the fathers of our republic. And yet uh, he was a slave owner. And uh, there's a lot of indications that, that goes multi-generational, that there was a lot of, um, of immorality that went on among the slaves. I mean, in fact, I didn't realize, but Sally Hemings, uh, was the slave that uh, has been pretty well verified now that he had several offspring from her. But the thing that I didn't know, and they've done some DNA, and that is uh, that uh, Sally Hemings was probably the daughter of the mistress, or the of the she was the daughter of of Thomas Jefferson's wife. Um, Okay, Thomas Jefferson's wife had a servant. And many people believe that Thomas Jefferson's wife now, her servant, was Sally Hemings' mother. I mean, that goes back multi-generational now. And so you can see if it happened in America, where we're supposed to have, you know, a Christian nation. Now, we know that, uh, that Thomas Jefferson probably was not a Christian. He was a deist. In other words, he believed in God and he talked about the Creator God. Uh, in politics, he had to go that route because he knew that, uh, that this was a very Christian-influenced nation. But uh, 
uh, he didn't believe in the miracles of the Bible. And in fact, he made his own Bible and cut out all the miracles and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, that just shows us that um, no matter what, what, what race or whatever, when you have half the population, like the Roman Empire, in slavery, then you know that there's going to be a lot of bad things going on. And so we see that uh, women were treated like dirt. Children pretty much were at the behest of their father. I mean, uh, he was the dictator. And you'll notice in both these passages that God talks about a husband giving yourself to your wife. Giving yourself to your wife? Wait a minute. She gives herself to me. No, you give yourself to your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I mean, that changes. I mean, that was, that was countercultural. Hey, I got a wife here because, hey, listen, I want to have offspring to make everything legal. And then all the, uh, you know, once I have my two or three kids that I have set up for the dowry or, or the inheritance and everybody else gets maybe a little bit of it, but whatever, you know, whatever. But um, so everything was legal and then everything was, was uh, sanctioned, you know, as far as people doing what they wanted to do. And so there was a form of, um, but then, then again, one reason you say, well, why did they even do that? Because both Roman and Greek societies realized that you had to have a family structure in order to have a nation. And even though they had all the immorality, they had to have husband and wife. What are we doing today? We are committing suicide in America. We don't need marriage anymore. We don't need them. Women don't need men. We, you know, and men don't need women. We could have... Um, now, women, uh, these gays and so forth, they could have children on there. We've got a, a Department of the Transportation man that has a, a, he doesn't have a wife. He's got a partner. And they, can you imagine that poor child being raised in that home in a same-sex marriage? I mean, just absolutely hor- horrendous things that are going on today. And no wonder, the Bible calls it confusion. And no wonder these kids are so confused about what their gender is and all the rest. And so we see that even back in the ancient times, they realized that the basic unit of society, and, that, and that's where even Jefferson and Adams, they would get together and talk about the Constitution, and they would say, what is natural law and what is biblical, you know? And of course, what is natural law? Natural law is that men and women are different. That's nature. Natural law is there's gravity, you know? Natural law is that there are certain things that we don't have to put in the Constitution because everybody knows it. And natural law is that one man, one wife, children, both to ourselves and to our posterity, is even written into the preamble of the Constitution. I mean, family. So it was a natural that this was the background, that this is what people understood all the way back to Adam and Eve, really. And so for us to... Today, say there's no longer need for marriage. There's no longer need for a husband and wife. And you can, you know, anybody can have children and all this. And we can get into all the different ramifications of that. Um, is, in other words, the family is whatever we say the family is. No, the family is what God says it is. And as we said, you can defy God's law. But uh, sooner or later, those laws are going to catch up with you. Um, you can defy the law of gravity. And you can make an airplane. But if you don't compensate for the law of gravity, one day that plane's coming down. It's going to crash. It's going to run out of fuel. It's going to whatever things can happen to an airplane. 
because they're just natural laws that what comes up must go down, you know. So that's, so what, well, you don't see the law of gravity written into the Constitution. You know, so we don't see, but these were just things that people understood. And so that is why it is such a crime that we have to even have people saying, we need a constitutional amer- uh, amendment about what marriage is. That's sad. You know, that you can't legislate morality. We found out and we're finding out that you can legislate immorality. We're coming to the point now that if we don't, uh, there's, there's several cases on the book where people are getting, getting fired if they don't call somebody by their pronoun. Well, what is that? That's nothing more than confusion, as the Bible says. That whole thing about this child being beaten up in the um, bathroom uh, out there, I think in Oklahoma or someplace. Um, but... I can't, I think it was a guy that was going into, but they keep saying there. Well, that's a third person plural. Is it he or him? You know, is it, uh, is it first person? <laughs> uh, he, he's not a plural. And, um, and there again, is it him or her? Is it masculine or feminine? Uh, that's going to really play hard. I know in the United States, we have problems with uh uh, feminine and, and uh, masculine pronouns, but my, it's written into the language in Spanish, isn't it? I mean, el cajon or los, whatever. I mean, it's, I mean uh, those are feminine and, and uh, masculine terms that, my, it's really going to wreck the language if you, don't, if you say that's just gender neutral. It's not. Mamma mia is different than padre. <laughs> I think, anyway, <laughs> whatever, I'm looking at tonight. But uh, again, I don't want to get myself into, into problems here. But, uh, um, but, you know, we are destroyed. We are committing suicide. We're committing, we're confusing the public. And so even the Kalash, even these people who had all these slaves and everything, they understood that in order for it to go on, I had to have an heir, a legitimate heir that came from somebody that was legal. You know, my wife, you know, and then all the rest. Now, I could treat her like dirt. I could treat, you know, if I don't want that guy, I could kick him out and, you know, get another, whatever. Uh, we see that's exactly what happened with the Caesars. They would, uh, you know, get rid of one wife and then appoint another and all that. But, but whoever was the head of the house was, um, was the king. And so for the Lord to come in and say, husbands, love your wives, and give yourself to her, you can imagine how that, that just kind of threw a monkey wrench in the thinking of the average person. Well, if I stand up today in the, on the, uh, the average news media and said, one man, one wife, that's God. Boy, I mean, today I am a misogynist. I am a Christian nationalist. I am a, a left or right wing whatever because that's what the Bible says. That's natural law, folks. That's what we've believed for the last, you know, millennia, several millennia. And so, again, we see that uh, now Paul, Paul is saying that uh, husbands, love your wives and do not be bittered against them. Now, we, we went back and we looked and we won't take the time to go back and look in Ephesians about giving yourself to her. And if you really love her, you love yourself. So the reciprocal, if when you love your wife, and that's why when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. The whole idea, 
I want to please my wife because it pleases me to please my wife. And when I got a wife at home, now, of course, she's sick this morning. She's at home. But I got somebody to go home to. You know, I got something to live for, you know, whatever. I got kids out there that love their mother. And, uh, you know, and uh, so whenever I got, uh, Timothy called me this past week. And I don't know what, you know, men aren't good about verbal things. But uh, so I say, call your mother. She'll talk to you for two hours. Well, I, after 15, 20, you know, 15 minutes for me is max. I mean, I'll find out about the kids. I'll find out about how his job is doing. I'll find out how his health is. And, uh, you know, if, unless we get into a discussion about uh, his car or some history thing that we've been looking at, um, I'm done. Now, of course, there are times that we do talk a long time because we do fall in those. But it's not always. Well, my wife could talk to him for three hours today. I mean, you know, just you ladies just have a verbal skill about yourself. And, you know, my, my, my wife said that about her father. Uh, my wife now talks. And I've told you about that. And she loves, and so I've had to learn. And, of course, as a man, I've had to learn that, hey, I'm the one person she could talk to. So I've got to listen a lot. But um, she would say, you know, when... Uh, the one thing she noticed about her dad was after her mother died and she and her mother would get on the phone and talk for hours. I could not believe it. I mean, just how long they could talk uh, uh, about all kinds of things. And after all, I said, what are you talking? And sometimes she'd tell me something personal. I'm going, you talked about, oh boy, you know, just all kinds of things that they, I mean, when women are just like that and very verbal. And I found out that my daughter is very verbal. But um, she said that when her mother passed away, she found that her father was making a conscious effort to talk to her longer on the phone because her father was like that. And her father was one of the most godly men I've ever met. And uh, but he just but he was a guy that just like me, I guess, just we'd listen. OK, your kids are all right. Your family's all right. How's Dan doing? OK, here's your mother, you know. So those are all things that are family. And so. And that's just the way God's made. That's natural law. Now you say, my mother don't ever talk. I know there's different. I'm not trying to stereotype anybody. And some men can talk for hours and their mother can't. I know all that. But I'm saying in general, these are, the, you know, there's, there's different, um, different personalities and God didn't make us all alike. Praise the Lord. And so, but at the same time, there has to be that structure, that infrastructure, that feeling of belonging. And that's one we talked about how that father, and we're, we're realizing now that um, 18% of Americans today are living in husband, wife, uh, families. I mean, children are growing up, 18% have a mother and father at home. I mean, that's down from uh, 40% in uh, 1970. In 1970, it was going downhill. So you see, I mean, we're less than one in five kids that go to school today have a mother and father at home waiting for them. That is sad. Now, I know that. I mean, and we, I look at people, did, and I didn't come, my family got a divorce. And, you know, so I, I'm one of those 80, what, 86% that, um, that would be, that didn't have a mother, father at home. And so we see that, uh, and, but I had to learn so many things. I had to learn so many things. 
And that's why I went through the Word of God and listened to godly instruction and still didn't get it all right when I got married. But praise the Lord, uh, it was a whole lot better than I came from. And I've been married almost 44 years now and looking forward to another, um, well, I'm looking forward to the Lord coming. I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to end until he comes. And so God's been good. But now as we look at this, and I'm giving you the, the, the background, why did God say husbands or uh, husbands love your wives, be not bitter, and then toward the children, uh, uh, he says in Colossians, fathers, uh, we'll skip, skip over the children. We'll look at this later. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so husbands, love your wives, don't be bitter, and don't provoke your children. Now that tells us two things. It tells us that men could get very nitpicky with their wives and just destroy them rather than building them. And the another thing is that guy, he could become so di- dictatorial with the children that they want to rebel against him. And so we see that uh, uh, in Colossians, then let's turn back to Ephesians and we'll just look at this passage also. And we'll skip over the children in chapter six, verse one, uh, verse one talks about children obey your parents. But in verse four, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. There it is again. But bring them up in the nurture or the training and the admonition of the Lord. So the father's responsibility was to display love. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, and thou shalt love him with all thy heart, with all thy might, with all thy uh, soul, and with all thy strength. And you shall teach your children to love the Lord. And as we said, how do you teach your children to love? How do you teach anybody to love? It's got to be demonstrated. It's got to be shown. It's got to be ingrained in them of what love is. It's not just... uh, a didactic course where we teach something about uh, psychological benefits. No, it's got to be demonstrated. It's got to be given. It's got to be felt. And so we see that uh, this is countercultural. So here we are, these men, and let's take, okay, let's look at it more than that. We got half the men and half the, uh, that are in the church are slave owners. Or at least they—they're free men, and several of them are going to be self-slave owners. And then you've got the other half of the men are slaves. How do you teach a slave to love his wife with all the problems that she's—that he and she are going to have in that household? And so you can see, you say, "Well, my, this is getting complicated." Yes, isn't it complicated today? How do we bring people in that come from all different backgrounds and they, they're ready, they're trigger ready to call us uh, right-wing conspiracy theorists, fundamentalists, you name all the diatribe, all the different names they could throw at us. And, um, and how do you teach uh, countercultural? We are now, it's unfortunate, we are now in a countercultural society where we're just believing what we've believed for the last 2,000 years. And now we see a society that says, if you don't believe the way we do, we're going to take away your tax-exempt status. we got churches right here in town that are flaunting the husband-wife relationship. 
I met a, uh, well, several months ago now, a lady I was talking to, and she was going, she's a certain denomination, and I was, I've come to find out she went to a certain church here in town, and then come to find out she was a pastor of that church, come to find out she's a gay pastor of that church. And I'm going, oh boy, now, did I attack her? No, but she's ready to attack me, you know, uh, because I am a right-wing conspiracy theorist, not because I believe what the Bible says about husband and wife. Now, I'm not getting into politics at all. I don't, you know, I, <laughs> I'm just talking about issues. And that's uh, someone has asked me the other day, I don't like going to church because, uh, you know, preacher talks about politics. Well, uh, I don't talk about po politics. I think many of you can say, and Al was with me when that guy said that. I said, well, I don't talk about politics. I talk about issues. And I'm glad Paul, you know, oh, uh, Al said, that's right. I mean, Al realized, you know, that I don't talk about politics, and I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'll tell you what the issues you better watch out for and what's, uh, what some are promoting, but I don't want to get into the politics. And no, Donald Trump is not the savior of this nation, you know, and neither is any other Republican, because if, if Republicans don't get back to a one man, one wife issue, the whole infrastructure of our country has gone to pot anyway. So politics and laws are not going to save it. Amendments are not going to save it. It's the heart of the people. And so we see that, um, again, that uh, we see that there is a problem with the fathers. Fathers, you got to love your wife. You got to show children what love is all about. You got to show a boy how to treat a man. Uh, treat, excuse me. <laughs> you got to show a boy how to treat a woman. You've got to be nice to the slaves that are in your house and not take advantage of them. You've got to teach him how to, teach, to be around his sister and to treat his mother. I mean, that all comes from the man. And you've got to, you know, and whenever, I mean, you've got to show, a man, uh, show that boy how much you treasure that one person that God has given you as your wife. It all starts with that. Remember what we said last week? It all begins with love. It all begins with the nurture. That is the idea of um, instruction. But it's, it's the nurturing. Um, when a mother nurture, nurtures, it's more than just nursing. It's cuddling, it's, it's crying, and all the rest. Well, the same way with a man. It's more than just uh, directing and coming home, bringing home the bacon. There's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot of of instruction that goes just day by day. And you'll notice back in, the Lord tells us back in Deuteronomy. Again, when you sit down at the table, when you, when you rise up in the morning, when you walk along the light, you're always teaching your children about something about the Lord. So you're always that model. And that's the one reason that I have seen, anecdotal for me, but from what I've read and everything, Children get their ideas of God from their father, especially the girls. And so you think about that. No wonder uh, husbands or men love your children. Fathers provoke not your children to wrath. And so I know a lot of women, and I've met several women, that I have a difficult time with. I think of one that just popped in my mind. But uh, 
but because they hated their father and could not get over it, it wasn't long before they hated me as a pastor. Anybody's in authority. They had problems with their husbands. Um, I think uh, this lady I'm thinking about right now, uh, she told me, I'm going to leave this church because you just want women to, to be subservient to their husbands. I'm going to take my husband with me to keep the peace. I'm going, okay. You know, I, I couldn't do a thing about it. But she just reacted strongly about, you know, the whole idea of, of men being, ahead of the, being, being leaders in the church. Uh, why can't the women? Oh, no, and I'm just going, well, that's the way God set it up, you know. And if you don't have strong men leading, then you'll have couch potato men and women doing everything. And how many times have I heard over and over, if I could just get my husband to lead? Or they don't say it that way, but the idea of like, and so again, we see that it all begins with the man and it begins with, uh, with the word of God. And so husbands, you've got to learn how not to provoke your children to wrath. You've got to learn both in Colossians as well as in Ephesians. We see both of that was you've got to learn how to be more than just king of the castle. You've got to be a, uh, the father and a representative of God to your children so that they can learn what the love of the Father, of the Heavenly Father is through you. There's several illustrations. I like the illustrations the Lord gives, which are always perfect. Uh, remember the, um, the prodigal son? Uh, the prodigal son went out and, and noticed, uh, and there, there's several things there. Uh, that there's whole psychology there looking at uh, the second born son. And I've seen this when you have two children close together, they compete with one another, two, two of the same gender. And boy, have I seen that. And I was like that. I was second born. And so, uh, and either if the first born is the person that really goes and, you know, is kind of the more, I'm talking about two, you know, two sisters, two brothers, whatever, that are within two, three years apart. Now, if they're nine, ten years apart, there's a little bit different there. But, uh, uh, but you know, the, the firstborn, if he's the one who's really the kid that goes after God, then the second kid's a rebel. If the first kid's a rebel, the second kid is the one. You know, it's interesting how mother, uh, I've seen that. Now, not always, and of course, you could say, well, that was the way true in my family. I'm just saying these are typical things. They've done studies on this. They've done first, uh, they did, a, there was a book I read several years ago. A guy did a study on it, on birth, he called it the birth order book. And um, he did surveys, and he would go into these universities where they would have uh, um, architects. And architects are very detailed, and of course, they've got, they follow the rules and everything. And he said, how many of you are firstborn? And over 85% of the people in that room were firstborn. You know, it's just something about structure. Something about it's got to be this way. Follow the rules. Um, and he did, and it goes on down the list. And how many, uh, then it goes like the third kid, the baby of the family. And he found out that most of the, uh, of the car salesmen, the zany weathermen, uh, the, the entertainers, and all that are babies of the family. <laughs> it's kind of the clown, the, the, the class clown, 
whatever. My, well, I won't get into that. I better not. No, I'll have to pay uh, royalties, so I won't do that. But, <laughs> but I, I saw it in my kids without trying to structure. So, ah, this is what, no, just watching them. And now, not everything was true because my kids are individual. But at the same time, man, um, I was talking, uh, you know, I couldn't take my two older boys out without being the referee. I, I got tired. I, I'll take one over the other, but I'm not taking both across town. Now, Daniel and Timothy, boy, girl, two years apart. Uh, Daniel, you want to go uh, down to Detroit with me? Can Timothy come too? You know, just things like, or Timothy, uh, can Daniel, yeah, just, they got along so fine. Can, uh, Daniel, uh, jo- Jonathan and Jason, they're up in their 40s now, and they still go after it. You know? <laughs> That's just the way they are. And uh, there again, are they, do they follow all the things in that birth order book? No, because they're individuals. But uh, there are some general things. That are going. But uh, what order are you? Almost the last one, and she's a car salesman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> younger, but you're the youngest girl, okay? And so and there was a long line of girls there. So she's a car salesman. <laughs> Boy, I hit it right there. And so just things like that, where uh, there are just certain things that, that we don't even realize until you really study them, that God has made us that way. And whenever you do, when you take the foundations away, what shall the righteous do? That's where we are. You can't take the foundations away without the uh, society crumbling. And that's where we are today. And that's a, but that's by design. Uh, even the communists knew that. I read about uh, the uh, Whitaker Chambers. I read about how the communists, 100, 100 years ago, were realizing that if you destroy the fabric of society, then you can, you can destroy America. And that was, 120, uh, that was uh, in 1927 that they were writing those things. And it wasn't all these lists that you get from the right-wing people to say this. No, this is from the liberals that uh, wrote the book that I was, I was quoted from. And so, again, so we see that uh, that's just the way it is, folks. So for a man, it all begins with how does a man love? And it un- seems almost like it's unnatural. I love to go in during Mother's Day or whatever, or uh, Valentine's Day, and just watch men get flowers. And to some of the scraggliest old guys, you don't think they love anybody you know, and all that. And they go in there and they're buying flowers and all that. I mean, that to me is, I, I like it. I like it. Uh, I like, there's a, a guy I've been trying to get in church for the last two years now. But I got to take my wife and he'll tell me some of the best places to eat. And I've been telling him about some of the places that uh, we've been to. And, uh, and uh, but he I would, I would never think of him as a guy who would be romantic at all. I think, man, alive, that, that woman, that poor. But he treats her, I mean, he's all talking about the things he does for her. And all, but, you know, just talking to the guys, he's just, uh, you know, whatever. Well, praise the Lord. And I really encourage him along in that area and just try to get him in church. That would be even better. But, uh, but that's, you know, men are not naturally romantic, or I don't think they are. I mean, you ladies might. But the, there again... But it's interesting how that, uh, that, 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 that it all begins with that. They, and I think that's one reason that the guy's been married 50-something years now. Even though he's not a Christian, he's been married to the same woman, you know. Why? Because he's learned to love her, as God said, and she has something to respond to. And so it goes back and forth. 
So we see that now there are several things that we have to have wisdom, and this is what I want to get into. How does a man love his son or daughter and keep them from being discouraged or rebellious? We see that in Ephesians and Colossians. Either we provoke them to be rebellious or we discourage them. So as a man, how do I teach my children not to be rebellious? How do I get them to love, how do I teach them to love the Lord? Now that is a difficult thing. And I didn't have, like I said, I, I came from a, a very dysfunctional family. I don't remember my family being happy very often for any length of time. And so uh, I had a lot to learn. And so, and I hope that my kids had it a whole lot better than I did. Sometimes as when you get older and the kids start talking about all the things that happened back in the back, you know, past, you start saying, oh man, you start really, but fortunately that's what my father-in-law liked that too, and he was a godly man. But, uh, you know, uh, they'll say, I don't remember that, but... uh, uh, the one thing I still remember is they were all talking, yeah, Dad, it was really bad. Uh, the only way we can get anything done is if we went through Danielle. So, you know, so they all knew how to go through Danielle to get what they wanted. And so, okay, I didn't know that. I tried to treat her normal, normally, you know, and I tried. And boy, I was rougher on her, and I told her she was rougher. I was, had more problems with her, and I had all the three boys put together and all that. But yet they found that I went through, <laughs> So, you know, so as a... I don't want to learn anything else that I did wrong with my kids, you know. I leave and I feel so discouraged. Boy, but I really blew it. <laughs> uh, you thought that way too? You ever talk to your children and they start telling you about some things that uh, you, you're not going to answer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> right. So, but that's the way it is. But the good thing about it is they'll talk to you because it's funny now. Because they realize that you're not perfect. And so we see that uh, how do you be, and there are several things that uh, we could talk about. How, so if that's the case, how can you be um, uh, gentle and not over severe? And of course, we're talking about a very severe Roman household or Greek household. So how do you learn not to be severe? Uh, the Bible says, spoil the rod and or whatever, you know, don't spoil the rod or whatever. But the whole idea, do you beat them half to death? Uh, unfortunately, in my family, I, there were several times I couldn't dress up for, for uh, gym class. I had to find an excuse. Uh, that was child abuse. Now, did it, in the end, did it hurt me? No, it kept me out because one thing I learned is don't get in trouble with the cops. I'd rather get in good trouble with the cops than my dad. <laughs> but at least at the same time, you know, I have to look back on it and say that kept me out of a lot of trouble. But uh, how do I teach my children? And yet, don't, you know, make, you know, give them the sting without the, the scar or whatever. And there has to be a deterrent. How far do you go with being overbearing and then too permissive? That was very difficult. And so, but the, and there again, that's the reason if you don't have the Word of God to nurture you and to give you some guidelines, then, you know, either you go too far one way or too far the other. Uh, so another thing is that consistency. Uh, here, how do you become consistent with what you do 
without becoming so regimented that, uh, that it's almost like a military camp. So how do you be consistent in dealing with your children and loving them without laying down the law and say, you will do it exactly this way, cross your eye, dot, dot your T. So again, there's those parameters that we've got to learn from the Holy Spirit in suffering long and is kind and is gentle and yet is strong. I uh, think of uh, some more of that. How do you, I'll talk about uh, another thing. There's several things that um, uh, pe people list as far as things uh, that can be destructive in the family. Favoritism. And there again, I didn't realize I was favorite. In fact, they kid me. And my, they don't they realize, they, they love to goad me and make me feel bad. But uh, I think most of my, my kids realize that each one of them are a little different. But uh, I didn't treat them all alike because they were different. I couldn't. I mean, now, did I try to, uh, to supply what they needed alike? Yes. In fact, that's the one thing that I, my daughter wrote about, and she was saying, the one thing I appreciated about my dad was that even in education, my father, I never even knew until I was older that some parents wanted to educate the boys but not the girls. She said, I never knew that. My dad treated me just like the boys. Well, I'm glad that she learned that because I never even thought about myself until she said it, you know. So, I mean, she's what, you know, everybody gets whatever I can give them. And so again, but at the same time, you know, I did not consider she was the one girl and three boys, but how do you treat them all alike? I got one boy that is very uh, history-oriented, very philosophical, and I got another boy that gets into, I mean, he could... I mean, he's torn apart uh, computers and put them back together. They're not, they're different. So I, so I can't treat them. I can't buy them all a computer. Oh, well, maybe I could that way. But you know, but they'd be treating them different. But, uh, but then again, so how do you treat people differently? Uh, and then another thing is belittling them. And that's the one thing I had to learn because I was left-handed and I got, I mean... Uh, now, my dad was married when he was 17, so he had a lot to learn. Uh, I had a few years on him as far as later, but uh, I always felt self-conscious because I was left-handed. And so whenever we would play ball, I had to have a different glove. I had to have, you know, all these different things. And he belittled me a lot with that. Now, of course, my, my dad, there again, I hope I haven't done those with my kids, but uh, I'm sure you can bring one of them in. I can tell you, he'll tell you everything's wrong with me. But, uh, but at the same time, uh, I don't want to, I, so, but how do you encourage them along the way without doting on them? So how, how far do you go with uh, loving your kids? Um, how far do you give them too much attention or do you neglect them? You know, sometimes you have to let them get out and skin their knees. And other times, you've got to protect them. I never forget, we had uh, some girls that came to church uh, when my boys were about 15, 16 years, 16 years old. And these girls, of course, my boys are good looking because they look like their daddy. No, but uh, no, 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 don't get that. But, uh, but uh, they showed up um, the next week uh, and they rang our doorbell. And this girl had a real fancy car. But she was in one of these string tops with the hot pants on or whatever they call them. 
and she and her, and they were they were dressed to to kill. And uh, can uh, and I won't name my boys on the internet. Can you two boys come out and uh, go riding with us? And we're going. Uh, how do we be nice to these ladies? <laughs> you know, uh, and my boys are going. Duh, you know, no, they weren't. <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> no, they were all boys. <laughs> So, but how do you protect them from that? You know, and, and of course we got a, some very beautiful girls here. How do we protect them and yet not be, have them being prudes? If you go back and forth on that, that's hard. Because as a good looking girl, you, the average guy, you just say hi to them today and smile at them. They think you're coming at them. I mean, because they don't know what love is. And so uh, again, we have all these problems that are caused by dysfunctional families. So we see the things that are going on. And then you put this, uh, the good-looking guy or the good-looking girl that are Christians into a, a school setting where they're learning all this perversion. What are you going to do with that? So you can see how, how far do you go in overprotecting and how far do you go with neglect? So there's, at the, how do you bring a child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? So we see, first of all, you don't be, you're not the dictator. So you got to learn, whatever setting you're in, you got to learn how to, the nurture and admonition of the Lord means you got to learn from the Lord how to teach your children. Are you going to be perfect? No, but at least your kids see you're directing them a certain way. And what you want to do is, uh, is the good old American way, I want my kids to have it better than I had it. Isn't that what we want? So each generation should be building the next generation rather than destroying it. But we're living in a narcissistic age today, which is I want it now. And uh, you know, my kids, um, they are resilient. I love that term. I hate that term. Kids are so resilient. They can put up with, and they could see all the, yeah, my, I know that my kids are seeing some bad things right now, but they're resilient. Oh. Oh, I hate that. You know, that's just a way of saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what happens to my kids, basically. Now, unfortunately, sometimes as a parent, we comfort ourselves saying, yes, my things have happened, to my, but I hope my kids are resilient, you know. So, yes, we realize that too. But the, this idea, kids are so resilient, that is a cop-out. No, kids are resilient, but they, they have to overcome a lot of things. And so, um, again, how do we uh, expect something? How do we set goals for our kids and yet not uh, disapprove of them? I being a, a school teacher or being an administrator, with a, well, we had a Christian school when I first got to my former ministry, and I had to recruit teachers. And that back, remember the self-esteem movement where we had to make sure all the kids had self-esteem and all this kind of stuff? I'm saying, I was talking to one lady who was, she had all these degrees and everything. And, you know, the one thing that kids need is self-esteem. And I started talking to her. I said, well, what about grades? Well, I would rather give a kid, now that she didn't say it this way, but it was education ease. But, you know, if you don't give a kid an A or a B, then you, they lose their self-esteem. I'm going, well, if they don't, if, you know, <laughs> again, what if they fail? And so, just the opposite of that, I had a kid that uh, his mother was coming in and saying, I can't get him to study. 
And the teacher was saying, you know, we're really trying hard, but both. And so I just sat him down in front of teacher and mother and said, you know, I think we need to give you an opportunity to fail. And he looks at me like, and, their parent, and I said, and if you fail, that means you don't get certain things in life because that's the way it, way it is. And so if you fail, that means that maybe your mother might not be able to let you play on the, for one thing, we're not going to let you play on the baseball team. <laughs> you know, we're not going to let you do a certain, because you failed. Because we know you can do better. So if you fail, you fail. That's your problem. And, you know, that kid started making straight A's. <laughs> I mean, because all of a sudden, the threat of failure had consequences. And we didn't hurt his self-esteem at all. We kind of built it. But, you know, that's, you know, we have to give people, the kid the opportunity to fail. Okay, I've done everything I can with you, if it, but this is what's going to happen if you fail. Now, if that's all they can do and fail, there's a whole, there again, there's the wisdom of it all. And so you do build up their self-esteem. You do encourage them along. And, the, you know, certain kids that just don't make the grade. I never made the grade. Uh, well, in sports, I was always about a year behind what I should have been in development. And I was always the big clumsy kid. Uh, later on, after I graduated and I gained some weight and everything, the, the, my football coach said, you know, if you had the weight on you had now, I could have gotten you a scholarship. Well, that's the way I always was, the big gangly kid that was always a year or two, you know, the late bloomer or whatever. Well, praise the Lord, you know, and so I've learned to, to have a, I've had a, a, a special place in my heart for late bloomers, right? So there again, uh, God uses your experiences to help you to be sensitive to other people. Now, so here I'm talking you know, about, I'm talking, am I talking about rules? No, I'm talking about principles. I'm talking about, is there, did I give you anything where you can go home and say, okay, there's 10 things the pastor said I can do and I can be the perfect father? No, it takes a lot of wisdom, but some guidelines, right? And everybody's a little different. But Lord, help me to teach my children how to bring them up in the nurture, which means more than dictation and admonition of the Lord. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and for, for your blessings upon us. Lord, we pray now that as your word goes out, that it will bless others. Thank you for the people that watch, are watching us on the internet. Uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, whoever's tuned in today, it will be a blessing to them. Change lives through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.